Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Pilgrim Baptist Church does not do voting. We, the simple uh, answer to that is, because we don't have a New Testament commandment to vote, that is why we do not vote. We started this ministry. We, we, we just pledge this never take a vote because we don't have a command to do it. And the reason is, if you are truly, I want you to search your heart this morning as I search mine. If you are truly serving God, honestly, through your heart, if you're truly serving him, there's no reason to vote. However, I've been around church people a long time, and I'm guessing some of you have as well, too. If you are truly serving an agenda, you need to have church vote. We want Christ's church to grow. We don't want agendas to grow. There is this idea that isn't written. It plays out in practice. It's not something that's taught from the pulpit. It's something caught from culture. And one of the things I've seen and other pastors that have been in the game a lot longer than I have have seen and brought forth to the attention of God's people is this. Are we giving to our local church or are we buying services provided by our local church? And I asked that question or I put that thought um, in front of you this morning because a lot of the voting has to do with are people going to give their money if their agenda gets voted in? There have been countless church splits over this very thing. This is not an adoptional statement. You won't find it. But in practice, it plays out. People give and they can't wait till the end of the month because now they get to vote on where their money gets to go. We've decided if you want to designate where that money goes, put it on the memo. Hey, we want this money to go to the church van. We want this money to go to the pop-up tent for the church evangelist. We want this money to go to, uh, you know, to help this family. Seems pretty fair and reasonable to me. Go to Romans 15. Let me show you something in the Bible. Romans chapter 15, verse number 26. Well, I'll read it. For verse 26 of Romans 15, for it hath Please them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution to the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. And there's two things I want to point out here. Number one, it pleased them. There wasn't any reason for anybody to vote on anything. They found pleasure. In, in other words, they gave cheerfully. 
you look at, uh, go to Second Corinthians 8, and we'll piggyback that thought. Look at Second Corinthians chapter number 8. It should be pleasing to you, and it should be pleasing to me to be able to contribute to God's work. I don't give my kids or even my grandkids, I'll see them this week as they visit, I am not going to give them a gift expecting something back in return. I just want to be pleased by offering what I have to them. And if they break it on the first day, I'm not upset. I'm happy they got that use out of it. But look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 as we consider these things. 2 Corinthians 8. Watch what else uh, here is brought to attention. It says, moreover, brethren, we do you the wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction and abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. Now watch this. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. And take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. To the saints, you can't vote out praying. You can't legislate that thing. All of us have to come to God, and all of us are commanded by God as a group to pray about matters. You know what the smallest attended service of churches are across America? Statistically, the prayer meeting. My brother is a pastor. He was an assistant pastor for years. He just got voted into the pastor. Do you know when they had the business meeting, people showed up that weren't there in decades. I just can't be convinced that that's of God. That's of an agenda. That's not of God. That is not God's people coming together and praying about a matter. Well, there's this work that's going on overseas, and we're thinking about giving some money to it. Well, brothers, can we get together and pray about this? Talk to your wives about it. Gather, uh, uh, man, gather your families around your table for the next for the next week or two, and just just pray about this with your family. We need to make decisions uh, because our agenda is to please God, and because of that, we want to come together in prayer. I don't want to wait till the end of the month to have a business meeting to figure out what God's will is when we could be praying about it for the entire month. Now, we've been looking at um, doing some type of family camp, maybe inviting some other small churches like ourselves where the pastors and their wives and children um, Maybe don't have a lot of other children to play with. It's 
exceptionally difficult. It's a difficult work nowadays to get a New Testament church started. So we've been, you know, just kind of pondering that idea and talked to some men about it. Maybe some of you ladies know about it. We've been planning that. Well, we went and visited a few camps uh, that are around here within an hour and a half from where we're at. And so we visit this one camp and uh, the husband and the wife who run the camp, they greet us. Wonderful Christian couple. They bring us around. Uh, their, you know their camp, and they said, uh, "Hey, uh, Pastor Fortunato, we, we looked at your website, and we see that, um, man, you don't do any of the voting or or any of those business." Meetings. Said me and my wife, we really like that. Said I have a friend who's a pastor, and he does it the same way that you do it. And he told me, he said, "You know, I wish more churches would start going that way." And you know why he said that? Because as soon as you open up that can, preachers or evangelists or those that have been in the ministry can talk shop for hours about the nonsense that's going on with those types of things. And then he said to me, you know what? He said, my friend is a Baptist preacher. He said, if the people don't trust their pastor and the leaders of the church, You've got a deeper problem than no vote. Now, that'll preach all week. That'll preach all year. If trust isn't established within a local body, you can't fix that. You can't fix it through voting. The only way that will be fixed is through prayer, fasting, and everyone searching their hearts before the Lord. Go to Revelation chapter number two, Revelation two. One of my friends uh, sent me a t-shirt. The t-shirt says on the back, we the people, not we the government. I like that shirt. Now, I'm not going to wear it out witnessing because it's not the message of, of the church, but um, I like the shirt. We as Christians, it's as American Christians, it's very hard for us to move from getting away from this idea that the church should be run like American democracy. And the reason I say that is because you don't have American democracy in North Korea, yet you have Christians in North Korea. You have communism in China. You don't have we the people. You have underground churches where they're hiding for their life. So we think that American democracy now should be brought into the church. But God says, we have this mentality. God says in Revelation 2, verse 6, uh, and he says, and hath made us kings. Oh, Revelation 2, chapter 2, my fault. Uh, verse 6, Revelation 2, 6. But this thou hast, that thou hatest. The deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. It's this separation of clergy laity. And you know what God says? I hate that. I hate that. Pilgrim Baptist doesn't have classes 
of Christians. Matter of fact, when you look at the word pastor in the Bible, it only shows up once in the New Testament. And it shows up as a gift given to the body of Christ. Every other time it shows up in the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament about eight times, and every single one of them were rebuked. It's all in a negative connotation. I see myself as a sheep amongst other sheep. Does the pastor need to say take oversight? Yes, he does, and he should. He has the vocal voice preaching, using his gift. But guess what? He also should be among the sheep. There's no clergy laity. There's no, well, you guys are the real members because you're granted voting rights. We're trying to hedge bets for agendas. We don't want that. We want to remove the boundary of, there's this, I talked to a couple of preachers about this. I said, it seems as if The unspoken danger in American Christianity is this. And again, you won't find this in a doctrinal statement. You'll see it played out in culture. It's never written. It's always in practice. That somehow the rule of the people will somehow now protect about the big, bad, mean, dictatorial, threatening pastor. And so we have to create these boards to protect the people against the mean pastor. You know where that comes from? A ditch on this side and a ditch on this side. Because you have some pastors that are not so, and they should not be in the ministry. How do you get them out? You got to get a bunch of people together and vote that fella out. Or your other option is you've got to get up and leave. Now you try telling that to some old Methodists now where the church has gone just woke. But it started in the 1800s. And when you walk out the back door of the church house and you look out at the graveyard, great granddaddy's buried over there. Grandmother's buried over there. Father's buried over there. And they've spent three decades of their life giving to a church that's gone woke. Do you know how bad that hurts families? Some of these churches that are, how did they get to that position? All of that stuff was voted in. Brother Jimmy, are you saying you have the solution with no voting? What I'm saying is we don't have a clear command in the Bible to vote. And what I'm putting forth to you is that there is a solution. If none of us have an agenda but to fall in love with the author of the book and to serve that author, the Lord Jesus Christ, it will greatly protect us from all this nonsense. I got a good pastor friend of mine. He's preached here. Well, Tim Crock been in the ministry over two decades. He said a couple, last year he said to me, and a couple of preachers said, just praise the Lord, we have never, our church has never 
even had the need to take a vote. That's a blessing. Why? Because the people there are trying to serve God. And they trust their pastor. But this idea of the vote now becoming, well, we need to find the will of God. So let's bring everybody together and let's take a vote and we'll figure it out. When those 12 spies were told to go in to conquer the land, do you know what happened to Joshua and Caleb? American democracy happened. And they weren't American. The 10 outvoted two. Joshua and Caleb believed God and wanted to do what God told them to do. That was God's will. God's will for your life and my life is to do what God told us to do. I'm not going to not evangelize because most Christians in America don't evangelize. I'm not going to not pray with my family because most dads in America don't pray with their family. But Joshua and Caleb said, we want to be in, within the will of God. We're going to do what God told us to do. The other 10 spies said no. So you know what God did? He gave them their will, not his will. And I believe God's a perfect gentleman. And it's not deep theology. God ultimately will give you what you want. You want to serve him? He'll open doors. You don't want to serve him? You're not going to find any doors that are open. They went and wandered in the wilderness. That was not God's will for their life. His will was you go in and come. And only Joshua and Caleb, those other men, died out there. You can't go with the majority. You've got to go with what God says. This is why we put a lot of emphasis on what type of Baptist church are you? We're a Bible-believing Baptist church. What do you mean by that? We honestly and truly want the best we can to go by what the Bible says. Are you saying all churches that vote are out of the will of God? I'm saying all churches that vote that aren't being led by the Holy Spirit are out of the will. All churches that don't vote that aren't being led by the Holy Spirit and are being led by either one man or one big family that gives largely to the church, it's not going to work. Can both work? I've seen both work. I've seen more of a swing now, good godly men swinging toward, man, I think we got this thing wrong. I've seen more godly men swing to, you know what, I think there may be a little tweaking to make it a better way. Are you saying those ministries can't be used by God? No, I'm not. I have friends, pastors that are either are in that situation because they have to be. Praise God for their patience and long suffering. Because they wouldn't have a pulpit to preach on. Because those six guys that form the board and own the property will vote him out quicker than you can blink your eye. It goes both ways. It goes both ways. We visited a church. I won't tell you the church from the pulpit. If you ask me after service, I won't tell you the church. 
but vacation, we visited a church and um, it was a great midweek service. We walk into the service and we, we all sit down and then a guy comes up and he says, Pastor, we'd like to ask you to leave the sanctuary. I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> this thing is going to line up. And then they start bringing out all these T-shirts and the pastor and his wife and his family's out in the lobby. And then I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. My assumption was way off. Something real sweet's about to happen here. And they all had these shirts. that say, and so, oh, so the guy says, all right, we're going to give these shirts out that we've been praying about. They're all printed. And we would just want our pastor and his wife to know that we're going to stand behind him no matter what happens. I'm thinking, that's kind of an odd thing to say. on But anyway, so there's a real sweet spirit buzzing about. And this T-shirt says, you know, we love our we love our pastor and his family and our church family, something of that effect. And, and you know, real nice font. And so. We're, we're the only ones that don't go to the church that are there. And we're sitting right in the middle. There's three sets of pews and we're in the middle and all the, the, the church family's getting in the middle. So we just said, well, we'll step aside. And we sat on the side. And so the church, uh, the pastor and his wife come and, and come in and they let him in. And they bring them up, um, they, you know, the platform, they bring them up and they say, we just love you guys. We appreciate what you're doing. And it was just a real sweet time of fellowship. Amen. So the woman all went back to our seats and he started the service. He said, wow, you know, we didn't know you guys were going to do this. This is wonderful. He preaches the message. It was a phenomenal message. It gave me some things to think about that I haven't thought about before. At the end of the service, he says, before we dismiss, we're going to have our business meeting. To which my thought went back to my original thought was, uh-oh, things are going to go south. So I said to one of the men, he said, no, Pat, no, preacher, you stay. You and your family stay. Okay. Well, they do this business move. The men are there, the women are there, the children are there. The thing went as smooth as can be. Now, there was only three men that actually spoke. And they went through the whole thing on how you're officially supposed to do it and all that. Well, amen. And then they invite us to fellowship in their fellowship hall. So we went in fellowship. Now, I didn't know this conversation had happened until we got into the truck and we're going to head on to our hotel. But my wife says to me, yeah, um, the, pa the pastor's wife asked me if, if we all do the, the, the business meeting, church vote. My wife shines at me. She goes, I told him my husband's never taken a vote, had a business meeting, and probably never will. She said, oh, boy, I'm glad. We're trying to move in that direction. He, because she said, Giant said to her, Man, that one went really good. She goes, last month it didn't. <laughs> last month was a mess. People were cursing. Christian. The testimony or the remembrance of that month was somebody threw a set of keys across the room. Because they didn't get their agenda. So she said, we're trying to move to once a month, 
and then every other month, once a year, trying to. Pastors are starting to understand, and church members are starting to see. Maybe there's a different way. Maybe independent Baptists have to practice the verse that they preach on about liberty and be able to accept other pastors that don't do it exactly the way they did it in 1940 and 1950 and 1960 and 1970. Maybe there needs to be some mutual respect and mutual liberty on both sides. Philippians 2.14 says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. I'd say throwing keys and cussing would violate that verse. We shouldn't do that. Now, let's go to two of the toughest passages in the Bible. Sorry, ladies. Sorry. But we're going to go to 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 14. And I'm going to show you how to get around these verses and spiritualize them. But don't use it against me. 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians 14. That's good. My older Bible, the pages are all loose and flippy. Uh, okay, First Timothy will do first. First Timothy chapter two. You can get around obeying these verses by implementing church voting, and I'll show you how. First Timothy chapter two, verse number eleven. The Bible says, "Let the women learn in silence with all subjection." But I suffer a woman. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, no independent Baptist church would ever have a woman come by the pulpit. Southern Baptist church. As soon as I said that first phrase, something came to my mind. Now, another story just came to my mind where some independent Baptist churches do make an allowance, but we won't go down that road because I'll ruin that. For the most part, most independent Baptist churches would never allow a woman to come behind the pulpit and teach to a, when when they meet corporately, to a group of men and women. Right? Well, how do you get around that for the woman to have authority? Voting. If you have 70% 70% women and 30% men. If you have 60% women and 40% men, who swings the vote? Who did God say should be the, making the decisions and have the authority? The men should not be usurped by the women. I talk to my wife about a lot of things. All, all of you men do the same. We talk to our wives. It would be unhealthy. It would, be, it would not be normal if we didn't. The most submissive wives are the ones that really honestly, that say to their husbands, look, here's my thought on it, but look, you, you go ahead and make the decision. I don't want to be in it. 
you go ahead and you go ahead and man up, make the decision. That's the heart of a submissive spirit. It's not, hey, you be quiet. Well, honey, I thought I'm not supposed to be silent in the church, but I'm at home with you. Can I talk? No. Concerning the church. That's a problem. If husbands are going to hear it from their wives, if they don't go the way that the wives want to go. Will you ever see that in a doctrinal statement? You won't. You won't ever, ever see it. It's all behind the scenes stuff that plays out through the heart. Now go to the first Corinthians one. First Corinthians 14. First Corinthians 14. Well, you're saying the women shouldn't have a say. I'm saying the women should go home and speak to their husbands about it. And have their husbands pray with their wife. And if it can't be resolved, sure, come to the pastor. Talk with the pastor as a couple or as the husband comes. But there has to be a way where that verse is protected. And 1 Corinthians 14, look what it says in verse 34. Let your women keep silence in the churches. For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience. As also saith the law, and if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is a shame for women to speak in the church. So we give them a voice through voting and we spiritualize it and say, well, we're not violating these two verses. I don't see how you can't violate those verses if you're outvoted by women. I won't go down this rabbit trail. I have been in churches. I have seen it play out where the pastor's wife is really the pastor. She's going to decide who the next pastor is. She's going to decide how it goes. All of this can be solved very simply by seeking the Lord and having an agenda to serve him, not an agenda to serve ourselves. So go to Acts 6 and we'll find a solution, at least the best I have for you this morning. Acts chapter 6. Acts 6. Verse number one, Acts 6, verse number one. In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So there's a problem that arises in the church. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples. These were men that were called, called unto, called unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Amen. Call you all together. Here's the problem that's going on in the church. Verse number three. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of what? Honest report. Because it's already a given. It's already understood. We don't want any man in leadership that isn't honest. So if, if, if Brother Billy Bob was caught stealing last week, okay, so we're all looking out. The brethren that are gathering together, it's evidenced among those, oh, okay, well, maybe not him. Oh, man, but oh, that brother, 
Okay, let's pray about that. They're looking for honest men. It's it should be evidenced among the church, not well. We want um, we want to vote Billy Bob. Yeah, but you know Billy Bob really hasn't had a good history of being honest. I know, but he's a real popular guy. He's got a successful business. He probably could really draw some people to the church. Let's have a business meeting and vote him. The people vote Billy Bob in. He's not honest. And the one man that steps up and say, yeah, but preacher, he's not really honest. He doesn't meet the biblical qualification. Sorry, you got voted out. Where are we back to? Numbers 13 is where we're back to. Joshua and Caleb. It has to be evidenced among the believers, among the men especially. Okay, we're looking for an honest man. And you see where it says, look ye. Anytime you see ye, it's plural. Anytime you see thee, thou, the, these and thou's, that's singular. This ye, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report. There's a group of men doing this. What else do they have to be full of? the Holy Ghost, and wisdom, whom we may, what? Appoint over this business. I'd like to appoint you over this business. Why? Well, because some faithful men of the church have gotten together, and we feel that it's been evidence that you're full of the Holy Ghost and the wisdom, and you're an honest man. We would like to appoint you over this business. What is unbiblical about that? It doesn't stop there. Verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You can't do this thing without prayer. And you can't do this thing without the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Why? Because their hearts were looking for honesty. Their hearts were ready to appoint as soon as it became evident that there was somebody honest, full of the Holy Ghost, and had wisdom. And because that was evidence and because it was full of prayer, the people were pleased. It pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, with the Holy Ghost, and Philip. And it goes on. Watch this as verse 6. Whom they set before the apostles. And here it is again, when they and laid their hands on them. And guess what? The word of God increased without one business meeting, without one voting. And the numbers of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem great, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Acts 6, to me, is crystal clear. Things must be evidenced through a proving ground of faithfulness and honesty that demonstrates wisdom. And I believe that's what we want, faithful men. Now go to Acts 1. Here's one of the biggest objections to no voting. Acts chapter number 1. You can have a preacher that will stand by the word of God and just keep this book. Most churches will get rid of it. 
you have a preacher that will stand by the end times, now that's all going to play out, and stick with premillennialism and not go post, uh, premillennial and pre-tribulation and not go post-trib. The minute he says, he questions the traditions of the American church, all of a sudden, well, we can't fellowship with that. There's something wrong with that. Really? Yet all across America, we see churches dying, independent Baptist churches dying because they just will not extend the hand of liberty. And a lot of them die because false Bibles come in, then they build, or they have the right Bible and they don't understand how to rightly divide it. And so the next thing you know, you just went from a pre-tribulation position to a post-tribulation position. There's bigger things fighting. Most Christians come to church on the Sunday. They've done their service. They're not going to witness to anybody. Don't they? they wonder why the church is going to grow. Well, you might want to get off conservative news channels. So I did. 18 years ago. And get your feet dirty. Get your feelings hurt. Go out and start doing something for the Lord. you got to have a heart that wants to serve God. But Acts chapter 1 verse 23 Bible says, and they appointed. Okay, we know what happened to Judas. So now they need to fill the spot. So watch what happened. They appointed two Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. Again, we see there's an appointment. All right, you two. Probably the same thing in Acts 6, that same type of idea happened. And guess what else they did? Same thing we saw in Acts 6. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. Now, they appointed two. They need to choose one. But we've got two good men. And the people come to a standstill. They're at a crossroads. They don't know what to do. How are we going to solve this problem? Which is a good problem to have if you have two good men, isn't it? That's a good problem to have. That he might take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. Watch what it says in verse 26. And they gave forth their lots. Now, this is where most churches that believe in church voting will go to and say, this is where church voting is or started or the principle can be used or it's the command from God. But it is not accurate to call this voting. It was casting lots, which is a which was a very, very common Jewish practice. And this idea of casting lots really was a solemn appeal to God. And you know how they casted lots? Everybody might get a rock or everybody might get a piece of wood and they would write in Matthias. Oh, justice. And you would put that rock in a bucket or an urn or something. You'd put it in, in there. And there might be some other rocks or some other pieces of wood that had nobody's name. It was just blank in there. Or maybe they took two pieces of stone or rock or wood and they just put one name on one, one name on the other. And then maybe there were three or four other unmarked rocks. And you know what they did? In the little basket or the canvas bag or the bucket, whatever you want to call it, maybe they shaked it up a little bit. And then 
Here's how they chose the next guy. Okay, brother so-and-so, go ahead and reach your hand in there and grab one and pull out an ink. Well, that sounds like gambling to me, brother. It was casting lots. It was a common practice for the Jewish people. All those names are in there. Or maybe, again, we don't have a clear idea of how it went. Maybe everybody that was involved got the right one name. Or again, like I said earlier, maybe it was just one name on one piece of wood, one name on the other piece of wood, and some empty ones. Or maybe it was just those two names. And someone stuck their hand in, they grabbed out the name and said, Ah, the lot fell on Matthias. Now, should we do that today? I'm not saying it would be wrong if we did do that today. Imagine having two good men that the church has recognized and it's evidence that they would be a perfect fit for this job. But I've been in situations where I don't know what decision. I think both decisions will be right. What, what would you do, brother? I don't know. I think both men are great, too. What would you do? I'm about as clueless as you two men. Well, let's just put two names in the bucket and pull one. <laughs> you couldn't go. In other words, you couldn't go wrong. It was an appeal to God that wherever the lot falls, all of the men would be good with that. And praise the Lord. I'll go to 1 Peter 5 and we'll wrap up here. Kind of going a little bit longer than I am supposed to. Please bear with me. People say, I've never heard of no church voting. I've just never heard of that preacher. Which is followed by, well, isn't that a dictatorship? Well, gee, I don't know. I think all Christians should attend group prayer. I think all Christians should attend group fellowship. I think all Christians should attend at least one corporate public evangelistic outreach from the church at least once a month. I think everybody should give at least monthly, if not weekly. Why? Because all of that's in the Bible. Have I ever come over your house and, and dragged you by the coattails? At 5.30 on a Thursday night. said, you better get to church. The Bible says you need to not forsake the assembly. These people that want to say that you're a dictator because you don't do church voting. Usually are not the victims of dictatorship. I'm not. I can name a church from yesteryear that had church voting. And the guy on steroids was a control freak on steroids. First Peter chapter number five. We are American Christians. We have no idea what it is to live under a dictatorship. We just think if someone rubs us the wrong way, well, we don't like that. And so as well, that guy's a dictator. I don't have any, I don't have any authority. I don't. I want everybody. There's some things I would love everyone to do all the time, and they don't. I can get better at people. Where I can just say, you know what? My job is to preach the word. And I bet you if we flip the tables, you could say the same thing about me. 
the brother of Jimmy, he just stays too much on, on pre-trib and we're post-trib and we just think that he should see that doctor rubbed you the wrong way and you think I'm a dictator. I'm not a dictator. I don't have the authority. Jesus Christ has the authority. I've been given the gift to preach and teach. I'm exercising that gift amongst the sheep. I am a sheep just like you. I'll go out in the street and witness with you. If, if a nursing home ministry starts, I'll go there to support you. I'll sit and listen to you preach. I will support everything that happens in this church because I want to be among the sheep. First Peter chapter five, first Peter chapter five. No. Yes. Verse two, first Peter five, the Bible says, likewise. Ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Uh, I'm in Second Peter 5, uh, verse 5, I'm sorry. Okay? We're submitting ourselves to each other. I had to grab a new pair of glasses because my ones before church broke. And lens bends on this one. I'm having a hard time seeing the numbers. So I am sorry. We should be in First Peter chapter 5, verse 5. We are subject one to another and we are clothed with humility. Why? Because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. All of us are subject one to another. Nobody, including myself, is above the word of God. And then finally, look at verse number two. Bible says, feed the flock of God, which is among you. See that among? If I'm in the word of God or any other man that's teaching from the pulpit, we are to feed the flock that we are among. I am among this flock. Yes, I should take the oversight thereof, but not by constraint, but willingly. It's not a dictatorship. Not for filthy lucre. Believe me, I'm not in this for the money. Believe me but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage. I'll never come to your house and try to clean out your liquor cabinet, but I'll preach from the word of God and says, look, you, it, nothing good comes of that. I'm not going to force you to do something you shouldn't do because God's not going to. Last thought, no voting brings more unity. If someone leaves this church and they tell me in confidence that this is why they left, imagine it's you. After service, you came and you said, Brother Jimmy, we're leaving the church. Here's why. I'm telling you this in confidence. If the church constitution requires voting, you know what I have to do? I have to violate my conscience, violate what that family asked me not to do in confidence, bring it before the church so that they can officially vote that member. I am not doing that. Well, Brother Jimmy, how come you didn't tell me why this family? Because they told me not to. It's a burden I bear that you don't have to bear. It's a pain that they felt that they don't want anyone else to feel or know about. So you know what I must do as an honest man? 
respect what that person told me not to say. If it's a matter of safety, guess who will know? Men that are also leaders of the church. And guess what I will say to that thing? That is safe with me. But there's one or two other men that lead or three or four other men that are leaders of this church. will need to know about this. Are you okay with it? I've had one man say, yes, preacher. You can just keep the details to the down. I said, I would. I want unity. You build a New Testament church through evangelism, through prayer, through fasting, through unity of the spirit. We won't go there, but you can read all through Ephesians 4 and you can see we're all united, all as members of the body of Christ. And we should all have freedom and liberty to serve our Savior. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.